Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. Hey, 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 welcome back. <laughs> you are way too energetic. It's still summer, it's still hot, it's still sticky, and there's still mosquitoes around here. But, but, we are going to be, when this episode drops... About a week away from Gen Con starting. Mm. <laughs> Don't remind it's me. it's the 2nd of August. It's the 2nd of August, right? First. Well, I first. leave on the 1st. Yeah. So the 2nd. Yeah. 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 We'll have one week. Nah. Awesome. I'm still... I'm still <laughs> nah, I'm still scared. I'm still scared. Still hey, scared no. of everything. No. Noel, would yes. you like to raise your hand with me as those of us not going? Yep, hands raised. Oh, I'm the oh. only one going. Yeah, she's the only one going. I'm not going. Yeah. Then why aren't you this year? Well, no, I'm 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 worried because it's the first of August and it's the first time I'm getting on a plane. Okay, and. You know, like I said last time in a long time, and then you'll remind me, it's like, oh, this is coming out right before, and I'm, and I'm still looking at, like, okay, how do I check luggage? How much is it going to be to check my luggage? Can I bring my backpack on? What about my holsters? Oh, my God, is my underwire going to set off the damn metal detector? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <sighs> no, but then it's just like, I'm like, ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. For Christmas, last year, Zippy got me sports bras, so I will wear that on the plane. Yes. No metal. Yeah. Pretty much. And <laughs> no, wear flip-flops. Like, um, Seriously, I wear flip-flops. They don't have enough support for my feet. Um, you're going to be spending most of the time sitting. Wear yeah, them because you have to take your shoes off when you go through TSA things now. Nope, nope. I'm about to say, nope. I, I steadfastly refuse. My moral opposition to flip-flops remains. I will not wear them. I will not wear sandals even when flying. <laughs> I will not I will, wear them, Sam, I am. I will not. I will wear real shoes. Gosh darn it, when I fly, I will have a blazer. Life will be yeah. appropriate. I'm also, I'm also worried um, about Zippy's, uh, the, the, the metal in his ankle. You know, so he walks through, peep, peep, peep. What is it? It just shows up as like this big zipper scar going up yeah, his leg. Yeah, that's why. They'll they'll take that as that. It Most sure, of those things don't so. generally show. Uh, uh, such but, is the way of things. Yeah. It's a brave new world with such people in it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Indeed. Yeah, people. What? People. Don't remind me. Some uh, of the best but, parts uh, of the world. That's right. Mm. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it, it should be fun. And, you know, it's like. Uh, I'm You'll have to have... fill us in. Oh, hell no. I don't have to do anything. That's right. There's going to be an entire, yeah, an entire episode of Gen Con recap starring. <laughs> you are very lucky. You are out of reach of my Nerf guns right now. Lucky no. or smart? <laughs> well planned. Nah, but the 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 one thing also is um, is Zippy and I are thinking about for next year for Origins. 
you know, we, we just, we just did our origins wrap up last episode and, uh, we're thinking about doing like some kind of cosplay, actually doing cosplay for next year. Oh, fun. <laughs> I, I, I am, I, we, we always have the, the fallback for Dr. McNinja and all that other stuff, but you know, I, I did, I, I went, I went and kind of like a shadow monster this year and it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully next year I will be getting ready for Gen Con. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And after and after I get back, um, my fortieth, and I know Dragon Con is gonna be coming up and our buddy Mark, who's in the who's in the uh who's in our CCGM chat. Hi Mark, is gonna be going for Dragon Con, so maybe we can pump him for details of what Dragon Con's like because I've never been and I don't think any of us can go this year. You know, uh, no, that's that's your usual kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to hear a report of how it goes. Because <laughs> <laughs> who's in it? Yeah, it's last too year big though he me. dressed up. Oh my god! Well, I'll have to get. He, he, I don't know if you ever saw the one where it was. Um, oh, uh, the guy that plays Tyrion Lannister. My name just bl- I just blanked on his name. But uh, remember the. Um, he he guested on Saturday Night Live and did the space pants thing. No. Oh, hilarious episode. Peter Dinklage? Yes, thank you. Peter Dinklage did this like sketch on Saturday Night Live and it was him talking about space pants. And Mark has the full space pants outfit and he went. And that outfit it was awesome. <laughs> You'll have to look it up, guys. It's it's brilliant. The, the space pants thing. It was an SNL skit. So. I've seen it. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. but he <laughs> tore it. And he actually, oh, it was great. <laughs> I'm afraid I have not so, watched much Saturday Night Live. I, I have not watched much since you know Samurai Psychiatrist and Wild and Crazy Dudes. <laughs> wild and crazy guys. I miss that. Yeah. But, you know, my my favorite was uh it was Samurai Hotel Hotel guy and they had um oh and they had the bellhop. It was. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I haven't watched SNL since the eighties. <coughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because I didn't watch it in the 80s, but watched it on, you know, the Nick at Night classic where they would re-air the 80s episodes. No, like, I, oh. I watched it in the 80s. Like, I miss you, Gil. It's like Gilda Radner. I love you. Roseanne, Roseanne, and Dan was one of my favorite characters. Zen, oh. that is because you are the forerunner amongst all of us. You are the venerated <laughs> I elder. Know. I know. It's, it's, uh, it is the way of things. <laughs> And you will but, always be ahead of us. Yeah, I know. Until the day that I'm not. But, I don't know. Some of us might time travel eventually. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you cyborg speak. But, the concept of a venerated <laughs> The concept of a venerated elder is a really good way to segue into our main topic is where I think you were going. <laughs> I was. Banana shark. <laughs> which is not a banana shark candy gram no it's but, just one of those random ways to make any segue completely and totally like bumpy and crazy yes haha next but what we're talking about today is our main topic is kind of a world building primer world building 101 we've kind of hinted around it we've talked uh, in its general vicinity but we haven't really started kind of defining terms and, and talking about what all of us look at when we build worlds in things like gaming or, you know, things like the book that Noel just finished that he told us a little bit about last time. Woo! Yeah. I I gotta warn you, as I look at our episode doc, I have been doing everything I can to, to avoid adding more questions and considerations. (laughs) Yes. This this is is one one. This is the first week of class. Right. I know. I know. know. Now, there's a reason for why this is coming out when it's coming out, because my hope, no, my hope is that come August, I am going to try to start doing a weekly blog 
for Wednesday, which is World Building Wednesday. Yay! So that's the hope. So I figured this would be a good one to kind of get us close to where that's going to start. I need to find a W word that means creating. World something Wednesday, world something went something. Yeah. Wrecking is a bad word. Wrecking is a bad word. (laughs) (laughs) Wrecking is a bad word. But what I'm also going to be doing is I'm going to go through a lot of the old stat blocks that are actually part of a world that I've been I've been slowly seeding throughout since we started doing this. That yes, you can use them in anything, but they were originally the concept was for a game world that I was going to start putting together. Zen's been being sneaky. I have for like two years now. I've been very sneaky about this. And so I'm going to basically start tackling the general topics of world building as well as actually starting to build things that you will see in that blog post. So, yeah. So it's not just going to be oh, here is how you world build. It's going to be like, here's how you world build, and here's some things that I've done throughout. Like, It's going to be some of the like general topic pieces that you kind of, the fundamental pieces that you kind of have to talk about and then actually doing things with them and continuing from that. And I'm going to start out at a, at, at a, at a style, which we will be talking about now. <laughs> so first, you know, the, the way you can design a world, one of the first things you can think about is whether you're going to design it top down. Do you start at that 3,000 foot view and design a larger picture where you start by focusing on overarching themes and continental level actions in your stories? Do you begin from the position of this world embodies change and transformation? And so every major building block has to relate to that somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I think is Athos. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's some amazing pros to doing this. And the big one that I always have is you have an amazing overall understanding and that big picture site mm-hmm. that you you understand everything and how it all interplays. And it allows actually a ton of flexibility for individual game sessions. And here's here's when you have all of that. Let me let me uh, for people that don't know exactly how to put this. Okay, if you, if you want a video game example of top down world building, Dark Souls. All right, it is built about. There's a world and lore and this, and then, the, then you know, your character kind of is put into it, but everything else is all there. And the world can be very, very uh, rich and deep and, and filled with lore. And you can put a lot of cool stuff in there, which is great because it's, you're able to build the world with the atmosphere that you want rather than, uh, Going the other way. By by starting big, mm-hmm. by starting big and then filtering down to a story, you're able to keep the overarching theme together. Uh, it may not be every hiccup on the road, but what you've already been able to do, what you are focused on is that kind of wide angle panoramic shot being there. Now, the downside is it requires oh, yes. a wide angle lens oh, on yeah. your story for the panoramic mm-hmm. shot. Yes. Yeah. Once you have the beast of the skeleton down, sometimes it's a little tricky adding new bones. Well, it's books, also books the and notes time, and notes. The time constraint on top down, especially 
especially if you're one of those people that is, I have to have it all figured out before I can start. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? There's a lot of people that are like that. Now, uh, an example. Three-inch, three-ring binder of Vampire yeah. Dark Ages campaign. I, I mean, you know, I, look, I, I may have a virtual wiki that I use to kind of go through my world's yeah. history and the timeline and the continents and the weather yeah. and the clothes. It's and the time, the okay. yes. <laughs> time-consuming yes. and using a tool like, you know, your, like Wikia or Scabbard or something like that, you can – you can build the living crap out of this thing, you know, and you know, it takes so mm-hmm. much time, it you know, really so it does. If you're trying to, let's just put it this way. Doing this for your first time is not for the faint of heart. Well, no, but it, there are some people that this is, this is how they think. Yes. This is naturally the first place my mind goes is top down. To do anything yeah. takes effort because what I see first is you know the equivalent of the the global global socioeconomic pop that's a standards where <laughs> what are the big empires fighting over and then I filter it down to where this you know wretched hive of scum and villainy is my first thought sees that and so it's okay if you start there but we're trying to warn you. And you probably already know this. If you're a big picture kind of person, it's going to take a little time. I'm not one of those people. I, I, you know, it's like I can get a, I, I might be able to get a rough framework, but that's all I can do. Okay. No, hold on. Now there's, there's a couple of other options. This isn't the only, only way to do it. There's another really good one. And that is bottom up. Now, when you do bottom-up, what you basically do is you create, like, a town or, like, a very small locale for the player characters. Now, you literally look at what's immediately surrounding the player characters and start mm -hmm. there. Yeah. You build the one small town. Everyone's from the same small town. Boom. Here it is. Now... There's some amazing pros, but then you'll see some of the cons at the same time. Like one of the pros is you can make exactly what you need or Mm -hmm. want at that moment. And you can keep it so tightly. That's the difficult part. One yep. of the cons is like it's hard to keep all of it notes, together. Well, let's just put it this way: top down or bottom up, you're gonna need to make notes because from top down you're building it, from bottom up you're pulling it out of your ass. Best way to describe it at certain because no. you might have to make a, a a change to it, and you're gonna have to write it down the, so that way you make sure with- as next steps, it's it, it's future proofing. So if you write down, it's just like, all right, and just to make, because you change something to make it work. It's like, um, no, uh, you, you can only speak the truth in this town. All right. So then you write it down. So that way you don't fuck up your own canon. You have to make notes. It's, it's one of those, since it's not. We've talked yeah. about this before. Yeah. You, you have heard us talk about keeping notes, be they mm-hmm. hard copy or electronic. You've heard us but- talk and me wax poetic about making sure it all fits together. But the why when you're yeah, but the, the thing is it's the why because top down versus bottom up, bottom up, you can do a lot of tweaks on the fly. You got to note what you changed, but if you already have the big world, you know, it's, it's a little different on where your note taking is going to come in. That's all. One of the, the, there's actually a very interesting thing and a lot of game companies nowadays develop top down. Mm-hmm. That is your your campaign settings from all the major companies. They're almost always top down. There's one that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Now hold on. No, I'm, now, I'm letting you know. So I, I, now, I've got my example now, for the bottom up, which is kind of cool. Now bottom up was actually. 
early, very, very early first edition AD&D was bottom up. Even because it was all basic. Well, I'm saying AD&D. Like, Greyhawk didn't really exist. I mean, it did, but nobody really used it very much. I'm talking about basic expert champions box sets before advanced was, I think, a perfect bottom up. No, AD&D existed before. Like, the white box and all of those, those bad boys actually, the original, those did not have a campaign setting. They would produce an adventure, and that adventure was built into what would become a much larger world. They were one spot. They were one encounter location, which was a dungeon, and there would be history that would be attached to it. So you actually had to to get all of the history, all of the little nuanced bits. You had to get every single adventure, and you had to read it all. You were building it from scratch because it would tell you in some of those, this one, you know, this dungeon is five days ride from this dungeon and between this other town. Like it would triangulate where on in the world as they were building out. Like each new location would, they would, they would figure out how it went on the map and then they would just start making all of the correlations. As you got further along, you would be able to basically create the Greyhawk map just from those early adventures. Exactly. Need to. But now, yeah. I mean, if you take a look, it's like Shadowrun, uh, Pathfinder, everything else is is top-down. But currently, bottom-up, if you want to find an example of, like, modern day, because not everyone is experienced as you, uh, Zen, and, and Gardemanger, but I'd say Fate Plus is it gives you it gives you tools to build from the bottom up i would say well no, not i'm not talking i'm talking fate plus itself it, it's it that's a rule set and not so much actual world well actually I, i'm i'm gonna agree with i'm gonna agree with if you set. have yeah fate in fate in particular sets up a move towards a bottom-up design because of how it encourages the characters to interrelate and how it asks the GM to handle it. Talking about keying off what the players need specifically, it encourages a bottom-up design. I think she's. I think she's yeah, right. It, it might. It's the rule set, but the thing is, that's if you just read the quick thing. But if you oh, read the rest that's... of the book, the the first book is yes. How do you create a character yeah. in fate? The rest of it is how to build how to build an adventure. How to or and I picked up a couple of the supplements. Yeah, it's other, all of it. There's actually another one that is also. I just started playing up. Fate, so that's that's and I like it. It's pretty, and, and they gave me a plus dice, which made me happy. I lo- I love them. They're very nice. People. And Noel actually loves loves this game. Oh, then are you going to take my t- what uh, I was no, going to no. bring up? No, no, no I want us, you to bring us, it us, up us. because I know what you're going to say. Oh, burning burning wheel. wheel. Yep. Burning Wheel is it's it's a medieval fantasy setting, but what makes it fascinating and it is kind of the definition of bottom up. It's it's baked into the rules, yeah. Because the way Burning Wheel works is besides having you know combat roles and social roles and things like that, you have this set of skills called wises, which are lore your character knows. But the test isn't just, you know, oh, do you know this something, this other thing happens. No, you can actually dictate how the culture of the world was if you say no nobility-wise or, you know, demonology-wise or things like that. If you succeed your roles, this is how the world is. So if you show up at a manor and this guy kind of might be your enemy, but you don't really know, I'm going to roll the nobility-wise that says, well – you can't attack a guest, otherwise it, it's a mark against your reputation. You know, so even if they're it's your enemy, yeah, yeah, you have no choice, right? Yeah. But the best part is, is that with that system is 
even if you fail, your thing is correct until it isn't. So in that particular case, I actually had that happen in the game, we failed the roll. So it became true. You can't attack someone in that uh, who's a guest until they're considered a member of your household. And a guest is considered a member of your household if they eat anything. So we had to stay at this place and not eat any offered food to avoid being oh, cold in our sleep. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's, Burning okay, great that's like that. really cool. Yeah. I didn't know. Ooh. Yeah, there's some really fun games out there that really take world building as part of the design. Well, and it's, it's an interesting push with some so. of the more narrative elements mm-hmm. of modern game design, but... My concern is sometimes I think these games jump at bottom-up design to engage player characters, to engage the players in that world building, and sometimes lose the strength of a top-down input for a narrative style where there's the overarching theme. And that's that's a, a fine line mm-hmm. to walk, and it gets us to you know, kind of mixing it up and how you blend uh, top-down and bottom-up for what should be the best result. Actually, this is the one that I use the most. I try to use it, even even though it's not my natural. What what I generally try to do is I generally try to pick like one, like I have a general theme and I will have some big world ideas, like especially with a lot of fantasy stuff that uses either like D20 or any of those style, like old school Renaissance, you have certain characters that like, they have to have gods and religions firmly in place. And if you don't like a certain percentage of the characters are not playable until those key pieces are put in place. And once they are, then I generally like those few things that are like kind of rules dependent for the big things are the parts that I build for the big parts. And then everything else is done from a more bottom up approach. Well, and you can hear how we've discussed the strengths and weaknesses of the top-down and bottom-up, how this is going to be a beneficial way to do it. They fill each other's holes, obviously. And it's for me, I I start with that 3,000-foot view with a theme or two and that big picture. Okay, the world's two big problems are water and nukes. And then I skip down to the bottom of what is it that's happening on the block the characters are on that that's starting at that relates back to that. And through play, I'll kind of fill in the mm-hmm. in-between, but I always have something hanging up in the ceiling. I can kind of grab onto from yeah. down mm-hmm. here. That's that's for me. That's the strength of top down is their little lifelines up to the big themes and the, what can make it look like I had it all planned out mm-hmm. like a genius part there's, of the game. There's something that's kind of neat. Um, uh, one of my buddies who, who I game with, um, what he does when he, he does this whole, a like, big world uh, top down and he's just like, there's a the whole world. And that the thing is because you're doing something doesn't mean the other world stops. You know, people are still going to the bank. People are, and what you do might affect that. So what he'll do is he mm-hmm. will get a, I'm going to say kind of glassy, kind of a, it, he understands that there's stuff that's going around. Okay. So the, so he has like, uh, like a metropolis, like a major city or something like that. And he has, and it's, and it's loose and it's cause that's the top down thing. And the, the rule is there's other people in this world and what we're doing is going to affect them. So. And then he goes from bottom up when we start doing it. And as soon as we do something, click, okay, that hits that. But because he has that bigger world and how 
how that city would operate. Oh, it has mass transit. Okay, you know, we screw up the the um, sewer systems. It's going to mess with mass transit. So he had some rough things that, like when we were doing champions. So, and he was really good okay. at, at, do, at keeping the, this is, you know, a metropolis. And what we did, did affect the world. That was the one thing that was, you know, rather than just because what I do is I, I'm like scene to scene to scene and, you know, I might not show it. He did, which is kind of helpful. Yeah. Well, he was bright and uh, also awesome. was kind of fun because him and his, him and, and the kids would, you know, sit together and kind of do crafts to make up little, uh, I have terrain crates, so I don't need to worry about that, but do little, um, you know, he did like like the the, the Capitol building. He did these columns with uh, toilet paper rolls and stuff. It was awesome. You know, so just another yeah. little just fun bit. I love that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally. Now, once you've kind of decided on a style that you want to try to do, here are just the first five questions to think about. Just the first five. Let's say we could come up with thousands more, but we'll save that for World Building Tool. Put it in the, ch- put I, it I in the chat. Added- Send it to us. Talk about it in the uh, in the Facebook group. What 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 the question Facebook would you group. see aside from what we put up there? What would you say is like really 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 important when you are designing your world? I restricted to myself to just one question I added to the list you already had. I, I wanted to add so many more, See, and I, but I stopped. I, said, I would have folded that into one of the other ones because I was being broad. But we'll let you start and tell us about that question. Okay. Well, when we're talking about the world you're talking about, especially from a top-down view, is how does the weather affect the world? What does it do to the people? They're tired. And actually, as you say, it does you know, kind of lead into do, the other yeah. ones. And mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, because it, uh-huh. it can affect everything. It uh-huh. affects terrain. Erosion. Um, which is another one. Like, what is, what is the, like, the physical area like that you're trying to develop? Well, and this includes, and, yeah, this includes not just terrain markers like a hex map, like you see in the old fantasy games, but also if you're in a, a cyberpunk setting, what's what kind of a concrete canyon are you in? What's what, what are yeah. the actual physical environs at a micro or macro level? Yeah, yeah, because your terrain will will change and and flow as you're doing things. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. should, and yeah, weather can play a huge impact. Like, it, weather can even be a kind of a a mood setter, mm-hmm. because you know, like the early like cyberpunk stuff. It was you know everything's always rainy. It's always night. It's always raining. It's 24/7. always night. And it's always raining. Yes. I mean, look at Blade Runner. I mean, the whole, almost the entire thing is shot in the middle of raining every single day. I think there's an interesting kind of more recent example of, of that on TV. If you go back and watch the first season or two of CSI and then CSI Miami and the first season of CSI New York, they literally were set at night in the day and in this weird mm-hmm. gray twilight. Hmm. And it defined the show in a way through this kind of weather and terrain where you always had kind of the glaring lights in that first season or two of CSI set at night with Vegas and the neons, Florida in CSI Miami. Well, we have the famous putting the sunglasses on opening scene and the, it, it drove it home when CSI New York had their first half season or season. What I just, realized it was always gray and in this kind of in-between feeling. And I think that was an effective world-building technique they used to kind of shape how the audience responded to the story. Sure. That's pretty awesome. And 
color and tone will always play a portion of that. And that's that falls on you as a game master to convey those specific elements of things. Of the terrain. I mean, that's part of that yeah. physical area. Now, one of my favorite questions to answer is the politics. How does the population resolve collective disputes? This doesn't have to be a question about government. This doesn't have to be a question about political parties. Politics is just a problem-solving method, and it could be that there is a gang you pay protection to that protects this block. It could be that there is a matrilineal nobility in the nation that has absolute rule. It could be a pure democracy. It, it could be a it could be anarchy. It could and all of those are going to be a direct you know reflection on how your players interact oh, yeah. with each other and the NPCs. Well, and it's it's a it also tells you things about the population, which is another one of the questions, like you know who and what lives where. Because certain certain groups just don't feel comfortable in a highly structured environment, whereas you know others do. You know, like a pirate is not going to thrive in that. You know, everything is is structured and organized, and oh yeah, everything on land because they're just like. That's where we relax because we work on the ocean. There's where their structure is. On land, it's just like party time, you know? And Jules, which of those questions do you find yourself drawn to when you None engage them, in world actually. building? How what would you add? malleable is the world to um, the uh, uh, to pretty much the inf- we have population, but that's who, what, where. Mine is how malleable is the world to the forces of man? Is is this is going to be something rigid where it's more of a versus? So you need, and how pretty much how changeable is it? Because if it's going to be very rigid, you have to figure that out. That's you know tariff, and everyone's thinking like, yes, we have magic. I'm telling the laws of physics to sit down and shut up, but we also have to think. All right. Agriculture, can they terraform? That kind of stuff. So for me, before, you have to know how elastic or malleable you want to make the world, how changeable it is to the whims of the gods, the players, the populace. Because if if the world will not bend, if it's that rigid, it can almost become its own character. So you have to kind of figure out that's me. You know, it's like these are these are great things, but for me it's always how bent it's like how bendable is it? Is this the matrix where some rules can be bent, some can be broken or not? And that's sure. because you have to know what rules are there and then what rules you can break. But that that's just me because I because of who I play with, I have to think that way. No, that's actually that makes perfect sense because that type of question will have a different answer whether you're talking about a world of magic or high technology or gods that are very present or mm-hmm. a world that doesn't have gods or magic. It, it so that that is a very viable question and yeah. it will have because impact I, on how I your play, players interact. I mean, yeah. Zippy, let's just put it this way: it's usually you're presented with A or B, and he will find question pi and run off behind you. Now, my thing is that will the <laughs> yes, world allow yes, him will. to do that? Because if you're like in, if you're in a, if you're doing something inside of a simulation, okay, you know what? Friend computer will not let you do that. And pff, you explode. You know, but that's the, that, I hate to say it. It's because I have, I have a lot of players who like to break unintentionally just because of their own creativity. I have to figure out how much I can bend and break before I let them go play. I feel like that's the majority of the player population. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Partially, I guess. But I think that's a really good kind of summation of just the big themes of world building. 
what's the style you approach it with? Top down, bottom up, a blend of the two? And, and what are the first big questions that help you shape the answers from that style? And we will oh so assuredly come back to this topic and be, oh, yes. be more specific and less specific. We will delve into how to build a culture or a nation, delve into the difference between fantasy and future, and take a look at what it means to actually create a world or setting or a campaign in its entirety. But for now... Which I will say is if we hit a certain goal limit on our Patreon... I've actually, I will actually start doing a world building show. Just so people know. <laughs> so, we really ought to push the Patreon a little bit more, but for now, if you have a few extra dollars you'd like to throw us, check us out on Patreon. Also, join us in the Facebook group and tell us how you build worlds and what questions you would like to see us answer. Find us on Instagram or on Twitter and give us a shout out. Because for now, we're going to go ahead and roll on out of the world building and straight into... And now we enter Stat Blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Well, you... you, you Not can- it. You be- oh, wait, I don't have anything. I, I, I blame everything, like the weather and everything else, like the weather. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to uh, continue to leech on the book project and say I am burnt out from creating yeah. a world and the exhausting Somebody process of cookies. world smithing. Well, I, I've got, I've got. Oh, yes, cookies. Yeah, I got cookies, I cookies up here. Do this man all the cookies. Well, shoot. As soon as I can figure out a way to teleport these cookies, you're getting them. Yeah, but you see, I don't want you to because then you can teleport the Nerf gun too. I do, <laughs> however. Do. You and I both do. <laughs> yeah. I have a stat block. <laughs> uh, the Astrolabe of Carluth. Artifacts are supposed to be old, dusty, and left in some unused mausoleum. I, I mean, museum. Uh, but the astrolabe has never been consigned to such ignomious fate. Uh, it still works, as an astrolabe should never lose all of its utility. Uh, there is a legend of luck and fortune behind it. After all, it was on the ship that found Blackbeard's treasure. It was there when the lost city of Synodicia was found, far from the shore. A golden astrolabe, though far too resilient... Far, far too resilient to be made of gold seems to draw you, draw you in to making the right calculations. What could go wrong? It was also there when the boat sank shortly after the pirate's treasure was confiscated. It was also there when the caravan was lost to the sandstorm, but strangely unharmed. It was there at the greatest success and the most abject failure of explorers of land and sea. It, it spelled their fame and their ignominy. Why will it treat you any differently among the stars? Hi. Nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I pasted it. I pasted I that artifacts. You know, when I hit the button for stat blocks and it just didn't show up forever. I'm like, uh-oh. And I just like, ah, okay, I'll paste it later. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> that was just fantastic. Cursed artifacts. I are love it. Some of my favorites. They're fun to use. And it gives you that. Yeah, a little bit of a history, a little bit of a question. Is it really cursed? What's it really doing? And why do you have an astrolabe exactly. on a starship? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I, I hate following you, dude. I can. <laughs> All right. I got the Waltzing Matilda. The Royal Fortune, the Black Pearl, the Revenge, the Red Flag Fleet. The stories and legends of these pirate ships are ubiquitous and never fail to captivate an audience. However, no story delights and confuses an audience quite like the legend of the Waltzing Matilda. The Waltzing Matilda is the only pirate ship that can't or won't float on water. Kind of. 
She can make use of most ports and harbors normally, but as long as she sticks to the shallows. If she turns out to sea and the water gets deeper, she begins to get pulled under. However, on dry land, she is a terror, a monster, a machine from the bowels of hell itself. The Waltzing Matilda can levitate about 60, maybe 70 feet. No one knows ex the exact height, though, since she never sticks around long enough to get an accurate measurement. She can turn nearly instantaneously and broadside before her target has time to realize their predicament. She can rise above the tree line, out of range of a town's tower defenses, and rain chaos from above. Her silent aerial attacks have always seemed to nab the best booty. Everyone is always looking for thieves and marauders and invading forces to attack from the ground. So attacking from the air catches the town with their pants metaphorically and sometimes literally down. It's an effective pillaging tactic and has very low loss of life for both sides. So what happened to make the waltzing Matilda confined to land? It involves her previous captain, a sea hag, insults both perceived and actual, and a failure to understand the magical equivalent of fine print. Long story short, the waltzing Matilda's previous captain grew greedy and wanted to use the waltzing Matilda on dry land. He sought out a sea hag of incredible power and demanded that his mighty vessel be able to rise above, above the land. The sea hag saw the partial rejection of the sea as an insult and the arrogance of his demand infuriating, so she did what he wanted, just not exactly how he wanted it. The ship indeed may fly a height, a specific height above the ground, but no higher. And the ground she was referring to wasn't just dry land. Sea also included the seafloor in her enchantment. Meaning that the seafloor's depth is greater than the height specified, the ship goes under. Unsurprisingly, the crew revolted and fired that foolish captain out of one of the 18-pound aft cannons. The first mate assumed command, and to mollify the sea hag, the crew decided to accept her gift. Since then, the waltzing Matilda has become a legendary pirate ship in her own right leaving a trail of sacked mountain towns, the smell of gunpowder and rum, and a lot of confused civilians. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> Invest in water-breathing potions. Always get your water-breathing potions. <laughs> yeah. Yep. As, as always, fun. Zippy came up with, I got this idea, and then I'm like, did you name it? He's like, no. And then I'm like... <laughs> Waltzing Matilda. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's fun. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. All right. Next times. Well, let's. Uh... And. All right. Let's learn how to speech. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. All right. So the fun word is demen. Demen. Um, demen. Uh huh. It is a noun, and it has four definitions. Um, Are we talking French <laughs> domain? Uh-huh. Yep. Domain. And it's -E not, not D-E. -E. It's, it's D. D-I versus D-E. Uh, thank you. D-E-M-E-S-N-E. -E -E. Domain uh, is, yeah. Of, of the land, literally the power and authority that is retained in possession of the land, usually by means of the Lord or um, uh -huh. hierarchical ruler. And well, okay, here we go. Here we go. There's four definitions. <laughs> you knew this was gonna happen. You knew. Yeah, and here's the thing: is like I can actually tell you where oh, yeah. what root it comes from for certain English words. So ta-da! All right, go for it. All right, the legal possession of land as one. Yes, the right of ancient domain. The second one is the manorial land actually possessed by the Lord and not right. held by tenants. Number three, there is actually three 
additional. So it's the land that's attached to a mansion or landed property or like an estate or a region or territory. And then the fourth is a realm. Yeah, that's where domain came from was domain. Yep. Hmm. Yes. And it is uh, it is Middle English from mm-hmm. Anglo-French. Its first known use was the 14th century. And the popularity is in the bottom 40% of words. So there we go. I feel like then you might have gotten a little outworded yeah, well, the today. Thing is, like, that one, I'll be, I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, no, it happens. You can look at a word, but the thing is, like, if you've never pronounced it, but you've read a lot, it's one of those, you know. This is literally one of Chameleon versus chameleon. You know, it, it, one of my cousins, it, it's the, yeah, it's right, yeah. but if you've never heard it before, so. Well, there's actually two different ways to pronounce it. If you look at the actual pronunciation guide, there are two ways to pronounce it. Ha ha! Yes, it's demand or demand. <laughs> but what did you say? Yeah. Demand. <laughs> yes. Check demand. the recording. <laughs> So, oh, I'm right. the news right now. You know All you right. this kind of banter. Well, I know. yeah, it's been a Man, while. It, it just, uh-huh. All right, all right. No, you and me are going to go off the Look, sideline. Just, We're just going to let the, just, the, these two have... brainiacs go at it. No, no. No, no, no. The, the, the reason it amuses me so is that I'm sure listeners have heard me flub and mess up words oh. many a time. <laughs> so it is occasionally <laughs> joyous. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say <laughs> mercurial. <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, I gotta not- go. Um, I'll see people nice. next week. Be I gotta nice. go. I, I- like I said, I, hey, look, I've got issues pronunciations, even though I can pronounce it due to brain damage. So it, it's real funny. No, it's, it's yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's it's all said in jest. No, mine get weird. So, so, all right. No, what have you got for our closing remarks? So. I'm a little hyped right now for a game update that's coming later this year. Hmm. So we have an episode today where we're talking about world building a lot. And Warframe is kind of an example of doing both. Where there's this lofty ideas that they're working on top down, but we as players don't see because we're, we're, we're in the starting world. And they're expanding on the world the players get to be a part of with an update coming later this year named Fortuna where when the game first came out, we were told we were stopping the oppressive bad guys and, you know, fighting them for the good fight, things like that. Well, with Fortuna, we're actually going to get to see another group of the people we've been fighting for and actually get to see this is the world that they have had in their lofty ideas but we've only been slowly pushing out from. Okay. So looking forward to it. And the trailer that I've got linked has such a good opening song. It is quite the earworm. You will very much enjoy it. Trust me, check the doobly-doo. Ooh. It's a great trailer. Nice. Actually, secretly linked three different trailers. Each of those you words monster. is a separate link. You monster in the best of ways. <laughs> All yeah, right, he's Zach. good for that. He is good for that. Okay, so it is a book. And as as you start world building, it becomes important to develop your maps. 
Now, DN is somebody that I actually know. It's the, the author of the book. Her name's DN Frost. And it is this is it is the best title for a book ever. If you love long, long titles. Fantasy Map Making Jumpstart. 61 Easy Tips for Fantasy World Building with Real Earth Science. That's a mouthful. It is a damn mouthful. But each page is like a paragraph on a particular, you know, element that you might not immediately think of when you're doing world building. Like, you know, when you're sitting there thinking about your maps, because those are really kind of important things, you you sit there and you have to figure out, like, you know, uh, let me hear. Let me pull it up real fast. Uh, spin in currents. It's just one of the tips. Spin refers to the direction your fantasy world is spinning on its axis. Earth spins from west to east, which is why the sun appears to rise in the east as we spin to face it. Ah, and my tablet just acted stupid. But you get the idea. It's It goes into like really tight, like it ends up being like that one in particular is like three paragraphs. But she adds real science elements to think about when you're developing your fantasy maps. Because so many people will just be like, here's a coastline and here's this crazy thing that just should never appear right there. And you'll have like forests on either sides of a mountain, which if you, you have to understand have anything at all about for how that happens when you break shadows. the laws of physics and we'll see as we know it. <laughs> Better to know when you're breaking the rules. Yeah. And so, yeah. And this actually gives you a bunch of little pieces so that you can think about them. And it's, it's a really fun little read. And I'm about, probably halfway through it and it's i i love it and i actually just finished talking to her before we started recording this and she is getting ready to start running her first D game since she tried to run something in college awesome. and we're gonna get her on for a gm chat good luck i wish you luck too <laughs> so so yeah, we'll we'll hopefully we'll get to to get together with her here soon, and it'll be it'll be fun. Well, since we're so, talking about world Roger, building, I thought I would use one of the better examples of world building and how it can grow and build on itself in the last decade. Avatar: The Last Airbender. If you're not familiar with this fantastic cartoon, you should be, as it develops a rich world that is well-realized and has all of these components we've already talked about in describing. The political process, the terrain, the weather, the population, the economics, how all of it does and doesn't bend and break. And the sequel of it, which was set a generation later, is equally fantastic and builds on it. But what I'll follow it up with is that the creators are working on a new fantasy series called The Dragon Prince for Netflix. Yes, I saw that. Link in the doodle. I am super excited for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm going to have to click that one. Yeah. I own all of the uh, DVDs for The Last Airbender. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a fantastic series. And as Garamanje said, it's the world is so rich and textured. It's yeah. each episode has so much hidden lore. If you're just looking at it. Mm -hmm. it's like, oh yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah. I Korra did not get into fantastic. Korra as much, but that's a whole nother. At all. It's yeah. Whole no we're an hour in. Yeah. Yeah, I I want to. So we're an hour in, so we'll just come back to how they used Korra to expand it's the world kind of, of Avatar and what they demonstrated as far as iterative growth if you advance a campaign setting. Yeah. That's a perfect way to yeah. do it. 
I got Armageddon Quest. All right, Jules, what you got? Armageddon Quest is awesome. It's um, a comic book from the late 90s. And pretty much it, it's the the Antichrist. He's been, he actually didn't know who he was or what he was or this raised by uh, kind of like celestial, but nice, you know, everything was going good. And then he finds out that he's the pawn of hell and he's just like frilly and kind of like middle fingers, you know, shoots the middle finger to everyone. And he tries to best way I can almost describe it is if you want to understand what necessary evil is, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, it was, it was interesting. I love the art style. It's, um, and it, I like I said, I, I like doing kind of like the throwbacks of the old school, um, like the old comics. I uh, the the artist creator is uh, Ronald Roach, and it's you know he he doesn't want pretty much is like this is your role, you are fated to do it, and he doesn't you know he doesn't want to be the Antichrist. He wants to do. You know, it's the, what do you do when you're supposed to break about Armageddon? And you're like, but I don't want to and bite me is the best way to describe it. I loved it. And yeah. the art style, I, I love it. It's, I don't know. It, it It's dark, but um there there's like color uh, at least I, I remember on the the covers like color versus color he knows it's like they pop like crazy so you know the okay, thing is like cool. yes i like dark yes i like you know like the max and all that other kind of stuff but it's kind of weird to see this take on evil it's like you know how it's like yeah, this is your fate. Okay. This is your destiny. How much can you fight it, or can you subvert it? Which is kind of something I like. You know, it's yeah. like, oh yes, you're filling the role, uh, technically, but uh, not in spirit, but in word, but not in spirit. It's like, yeah, uh, that is technically correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> so, that's me. Yes, so, and it's been a long time since I read it, so I caught up on it again. So. Check it out, guys. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Well, I guess that kind of wraps us up for this week. And we will hopefully have a, a special episode that will drop maybe – I have to say maybe because we're still finalizing a few things – uh, right before we're crossing our fingers, keep your, you know, root for us guys. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I guess keep until playing. then have a good one. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. 
Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.